Y'all have plans for Thanksgiving? Y'all know what you're doing? Eating way too much? Yeah. Thanksgiving has its own set of symbols. Uh, turkeys, pilgrims, pumpkin, corn, uh, the table that's overflowing with way more food than, than anyone family would need. Uh, but the symbol that I think best, uh, best captures the abundance of Thanksgiving is the cornucopia. It's an ancient symbol that's used in Greek and Roman mythology. In some myths, the goat Amalthea, whose milk fed the infant Zeus, uh, had a horn that was always filled with whatever anyone wanted to eat or drink. In other tales, the Roman goddess of plenty named Copia wore or carried a horn that was filled with fruit and drink, and this magical horn was always full. Its abundance could never be exhausted. So a very appropriate symbol for, I think, our own Thanksgiving tables where uh, it just overflows on the sacred day of indulgence. But of course, Thanksgiving is about more than food. It is about giving thanks. And even families that are not religious will gather around tables this Thursday and, and go around and say what they are thankful for. It takes a certain mindset to be thankful, doesn't it? If you're feeling sorry for yourself, hard to be thankful. If you are obsessed with what you don't have, it's hard to be thankful. Can you be thankful if you are too busy to stop and smell the roses? Years ago, in one of my congregations, a farmer was talking about how great his harvest was. And if any of you have grown up in farming communities, you know how uncommon that conversation is. I'd served about half of my career in farming communities, and, and I don't think I even need all the fingers on one hand to count the number of times a farmer has talked about how great their crop was. Because while this guy was praising his abundant harvest, all the other farmers were doing were complaining about how low the prices were. And when the prices were high, they were complaining about how poor their harvest was. So it takes a certain mindset to be thankful. And so when it comes to Thanksgiving, there's no one better to kind of show us that mindset than the Apostle Paul. Paul was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was chased out of cities, he was whipped and beaten, he was stoned. Even the churches that he cared so much for gave him a lot of grief. And if he had written about how miserable his life was, I think we would all understand that. But we don't see a lot of that in his letters. We hear a lot of gratitude. So listen to his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, this is what's called an encyclical letter. We call it the letter to the church in Ephesians, but it was really, it went there and then it went on to the next church and the next church and the next church. It was designed to be circulated among a whole bunch of churches. And Paul starts out this letter talking about how wonderful that God chose you to be God's own people. God sets you apart. God made you special. God included you in God's family. God has forgiven your sins and gave you life through the grace God has lavished upon you. Paul loves the language of abundance. It's throughout all of his letters. And he talks about abundance whenever he talks about what God has done for us. So that's how he starts the letter. We're going to pick it up at verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know God, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which God has called you 
What are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe, according to the working of God's great power? God put this power to work in Christ when God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has put all things under His feet and has made Him the head over all things in the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So first, he gives thanks for the faithful in all the churches. Notice he isn't focusing on what's wrong. He doesn't focus on what they need. He doesn't ask God to get rid of all the people who were causing him trouble every time he went there. Instead, he is focused on celebrating them, giving thanks for them. What occupies Paul's thoughts is what God has done in the life of those Christians and how they have then responded in love, and he gives thanks. These were not perfect people, any more than any of us are perfect people. But Paul starts with thanks. And then Paul asks for two things. First, he asks God to give those Christians more blessings than they already have. Now, this is something that I actually try to do in my prayer life. I take our list of our church members and our friends and throughout the week, I pray for everyone on that list. So I am praying for all of you every week. We should be praying for each other and asking God to shower abundant blessings on each other. It's part of what it means to be part of a caring community of faith. We have about 250 members in our church. Imagine what it would be like knowing that every week 250 people are praying for you and asking God to bless you. And then Paul asked God to give us eyes to see the abundance of blessings God showers upon us. Now, he's not talking about things or a good job or a loving family or health or anything like that. He's talking about knowing we belong. We are children of God. We are part of God's family. That was a big deal in Paul's day. We use that language here today, and it means something, but it doesn't quite mean for most of us what it meant in Paul's day. Because in Paul's day, if you became a Christian, chances are you were then ostracized by your family. You might have been kicked out for following this, this radical new religion. If your whole family did not convert with you, you would live in fear of your family turning you over to the Roman authorities for the crime of not worshiping Caesar. You've heard it said family is a one place they have to take you in. It's not always true. It doesn't always happen that way, and it did not always happen then. So for Paul to say, the first and best gift that you have is that you belong, is to say to people who took a huge risk in following Christ, you now have a place where you are loved and you are cared for and you are lifted up. Even if your own family has kicked you out. You belong here. We all know of families where children have been kicked out. Maybe some of you have come from some of those families. Maybe, um, maybe because of your faith. I've known folks whose 
families have kicked them out because they went to a different branch of Christianity or out of Christianity or even became Christians. Maybe you are the proverbial black sheep of your family and you just don't fit. Maybe your family is one you don't really want to belong to. It's not that healthy of a place for you. It doesn't change the fact that one of our most basic needs is to have a place where we belong, where we know we are loved and accepted as we are no matter what. And Paul reminds us we have that. We always will have that in God's family. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter what we've said. Doesn't matter how we feel. We have a place in God's family. That's the first and best gift that Paul gives thanks for. The second gift he lifts up is our inheritance. Now, some people see our inheritance as this promise of everlasting life, which doesn't fully go into effect until we die. But in fact, Paul reminds us that inheritance is already ours. Death doesn't have to trigger inheritance. In fact, God is giving us good things right now. Sometimes they come to us in the form of family and friends who are there for us at the right time. Sometimes they come to us in the form of love from those who are important to us, uh, some healing, a new job, a beautiful sunrise. I don't know if you all saw the sunrise this morning. Uh, an unexpected joy, any number of things we typically think about when we give thanks. Paul is saying, those things come to us now. God wants us to have the best now, not in some afterlife somewhere down the road. But really the main part of the inheritance that Paul is talking about is the power of God. It's very simply the power of God that brings life out of death and hope out of despair. And that power is already at work in this world and in us and through us and for us. Paul knew this power intimately in his life, and it's one of the reasons he could give thanks about so many things that we'd look at and say, I'm not grateful for that. When he was arrested in Philippi, that became an opportunity for him to preach the gospel to his guards and change their lives. When he was shipwrecked in Malta, he was in just the right place to heal a man who was incredibly ill. Instead of complaining about being arrested or whining because he was shipwrecked, Paul praises God for what God accomplished through him in those circumstances. Paul thanks God for the power of God at work in him and through him and for him. That's the inheritance that we have. And that's the inheritance that is at work in our lives right now. If we understand that God's power is at work in us, that God's power is active in our lives, that means we are aware that God can use us to make a difference in the world. No matter who we are or where we are, what challenges we're facing, God can use us because it's God's power at work in us. It means God is at work in us to help bring life out of death and hope out of despair when we're reaching out to people in need who may not see hope in their lives. It means when we try but don't feel like we're accomplishing much, like we're really making a difference or helping much, we can know God is at work behind the scenes, bringing the power of life to bear in that situation. And it means God is constantly working 
in every place to bring life out of death and hope out of despair for us as well. In all those situations where we feel lost or helpless or frustrated or angry. I look at this church and I see the power of God has been at work in this church in our 154-year history. Lives have been changed because of the welcome you and those who've gone before you have given in these walls. Lives have been changed because of the nurture that you and those who've come before you have provided throughout the years. God is still bringing the power of life to bear for us, in us, and through us as we reach out to our neighbors, locally and globally. We have a great partnership with McPhee Elementary. We provide books for summer reading. We help pack up food for their families for the month. With Clinic with a Heart, we help provide health care for those who just don't have enough to meet the basic needs. With Justice in Action, we're working to provide mental health, better access to mental health services in our community to people who have a hard time reaching it and more access to divergence program for nonviolent offenders in our community so whole families aren't destroyed because of, of some really poor choices that sometimes get made. We support Lighthouse. We help them help kids know that someone cares about them. Some of those kids come from families where they've been kicked out or they don't feel like they belong. And Lighthouse lets them know they are loved and belong and, and belong there and that they are lifted and supported. We serve at the gathering place, which isn't just about feeding hungry people. It's providing a place of belonging for those who are feeling lonely. I could go on. Lincoln Literacy, helping immigrants uh, learn English. Uh, El Centro, which helps Hispanic and Latino families in our community. Our Sudanese members who are, are worried and caring about their families back in South Sudan. We work with them, and we just started working with Minga Peru, helping uh, empower women who have no voice in these remote Amazon, uh, remote uh, uh, Peruvian, yeah, remote villages in the Peruvian rainforest. There's a phrase there somewhere. And right here in our own congregation, we bring the power of God to bear when we care for one another, and we support those who need a little extra help, when we teach our kids about Christ, and we give them a loving family that they know they belong to and that will celebrate everything they do. We provide opportunities for all of us to grow deeper in understanding and faith. And we celebrate God's power at work in us as we find ways to serve in Christ's name and let that power flow out. God has blessed us abundantly. God is with us. God's inheritance is at work in us right now and will continue that list, I said, is just the stuff we have done. It's going to be exciting to see what we will do with God's power at work in us. Thursday is Thanksgiving. For the rest of the world, it may or may not be a religious celebration. But for us, it is because it reminds us to look for those blessings, the gifts, the opportunities God has given us. It reminds us that like that ancient cornucopia, that God's gifts are overflowing and exceedingly abundant if we will only open our eyes and see them. And when we appreciate and use those gifts for God's glory, God showers us with even more, and they overflow into the world. 
So as you prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving with your family and friends, however you are doing that, may you be filled with more than food, but with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know better, you may know God better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints, and God's incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Amen.